Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast, coming to you live from the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, you know, just just me me uh, back again today, um, but you know, a lot of exciting stuff going on in. You know this this sort of cloud native world. We we talk a lot about uh, you know what's going on around cloud native, around Kubernetes, around the things that are happening in the, the cloud native computing foundation. And today uh, with Kube, KubeCon uh, coming up here in a couple of weeks, we're very very excited to have Joseph Jacks on with us. Uh, JJ, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, Brian. Um, so you know it's you are the. Uh, you were the sort of creator of the KubeCon event. Uh, you, you created it and, and sort of fostered it. Uh, we're now moving into year two. You created it back when um, you know you and Patrick Riley were doing things at Kismatic. Uh, eventually, Kismatic got bought by by Apprenda, and you're you're overrunning Kubernetes activities over there. But you know, with with this thing coming up on year two, give us a sort of state of the union of of KubeCon and a little bit of of you know where you see Kubernetes these days. Wow, that is a big question. All right, start with KubeCon then. Just start with the basics. Sure, sure, no problem, no problem. Um, yeah, it's it's been absolutely uh, amazing how fast this community has grown, and I, I I don't really have much to benchmark it against. I mean, I kind of say that a lot, like, oh, it's just amazing and it's growing fast. Um, I haven't I haven't been involved in open source my whole career. Um, I, I my first sort of exposure to open source um, software and sort of a high growth way was at a company called Talend. Um, so yep. kind of a French French open source middleware company, a really awesome company. And they were sort of setting out to build the, the first kind of um, really useful uh, enterprise ETL product. Uh, and they open sourced it and ended up, you know, building a lot of momentum and, and tons of users they were sort of competing with companies like Informatica and IBM Data Stage, Abinitio, um, and they had you know a couple million users. And the, the the company behind that project ended up building commercial tools and just massive growth. They just went IPO recently. Um, so just working inside of that company at, at a fairly early stage and kind of for a couple of years seeing the growth was the only benchmark I have to this. Yep. And I can say that with Kubernetes. Um, it's just so much higher velocity and, and just a, a much larger ecosystem across different industries and commercial partic- participants than I've seen with um, with specifically talent, but just having kind of b- developed an affinity for open source um, over the years. So it's just phenomenal. And I'm just super honored to have been involved really early on in the project um as you say with kubecon and just um you know kind of helping in my in my own little way but um yeah kubecon has kind of taken taken me by surprise i think by a lot of people by surprise um we we really actually thought originally it was just going to be a big meetup uh like a a sort of an oversized you know 150 200 person meetup uh Right, right and ended up ended up uh seeing almost 600 people at the first one. We had about 560 or so people attend uh, KubeCon San Francisco in November of last year. Um, and then we did a follow-up in Europe and London of this year, which was, uh, which was just roughly the same size, slightly, slightly smaller, but well north of 500 people. And, uh, and we're going to double that this, this year, which is uh, our North American follow-up um, happening in Seattle in a couple weeks now or a few weeks. Right. So right. it's pretty exciting. We'll, we'll, we'll have, we'll have more than a thousand people there. 
Uh, we sold out about a week ago, so that's a cool. pretty good indication of some of the activity. Just just for, for reference, in case a lot of people don't know, usually event, events of this size, sort of more than five 600 people, um, sell like 90% or so of the tickets within um, the two to three weeks preceding the event. So the fact that we sold out um, you know, a week ago actually shows that we, 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 we probably could have had a much larger event uh but it just it just shows that there's just tons of tons of demand so it's pretty exciting from that standpoint yeah so i, I you know i'll give you my perspective on on the kubernetes stuff and you can kind of uh you know tell me where where you're seeing differences or where you're seeing similarities I, you know i think um there was a you, you know when it, when it sort of kubernetes the project first got announced um you know i think there was there was a certain amount of of excitement because uh, you know, you didn't have, so you had this sort of cloud technology, uh, you married with kind of the hype of, of, of containers. So it was like, okay, it's, you know, it seems like the right place at the right time, but you had a certain amount of, of cautiousness because it was Google and, and people aren't exactly sure, you know, how to, how to react to Google, right? There's, there's a part of it that, you know, the community looks at, at Google and goes, you know, unbelievable knowledge and talent and, and so forth. And then there's, you know, there's the flip side of it, which goes, yeah, I used to have Google Reader and I used to have, you know, this Google Plus and, you know, I don't, I don't know if they're going to stay committed to it. Um, and, and what's, what's been interesting to me is, you know, Google has sort of, to a certain extent, They've stayed in the background. I don't want to say they, they haven't participated because obviously they're they're massive contributors and, and massively you know helping in what's going on. But but they've taken um, you know a role that that feels sort of appropriate for the community and it's allowed a lot of different companies, a lot of different individual contributors, uh, you know, end customers to to participate. I mean, is that what you see in the community? Like the community doesn't feel um, like it feels like one that that isn't acrimonious. It doesn't have a lot of fights within it. It feels like, you know, it's, it's got a a major contributor, but then a lot of, of other contributors, a lot of openness. Is that, is that what you see in the community as well? I I think so. I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, Google has recognized the importance of not, um, sort of being a benevolent dictator yeah. for the project. And to that extent, they've actually been the sort of champions behind this idea of, um, of a leadership or an elders council of sort of people appointed across the community, um, not exclusively within Google to sort of resolve technical disputes and engineering disputes that might not, not necessarily disputes or arguments, but uh, points of conflict around architectural directions and different things like that. Uh, and in, in that, in that way, I think they've kind of directly acknowledged that Kubernetes needs to have a, a highly distributed and, um, you know, decentralized governance model. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think that was kind of one of the early, early design points of the project was to focus on community and make sure that the, 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 the community grew, uh, you know, out, out of, this uh, decentralized model, but but also that that Google would sort of play a part and not the part in making sure the project was successful. Right, right. Um, so yeah, it's de- I, I definitely see that, and there there's um, I think there's one thing that we can correlate with sort of lots of perhaps um, contention and inf- maybe maybe not infighting, but politics um, maybe more than anything else, which I think is harped on quite a bit, but it's worth bringing up here since you brought it up is. I think open source, and I'm not going to mention any specific open source projects here, but Mm -hmm. um, open source projects that have a single vendor backing them fundamentally 
throughout the revolution where those open source projects are created by a single vendor and owned essentially outright in terms of IP and trademark and governance model and foundational aspects throughout the life of those projects uh, and where there's essentially one you know, very large dominant outsized contributor um, as well. I think, I think that sort of formula um, encourages lots of potential conflict, especially as uh, an open source project starts to get quite a lot of um, you know, industry and ecosystem momentum. Yep. Um, so K- Kubernetes really stands out in that way. And, you know, I think that's, that's one, one of the main, main contributors that uh, has caused it to be so successful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the way I, I explain it to sometimes to some people is, you know, that there's a difference in a project when um, its goal seems to feel like it's, it's trying to replace something, you know, so, mm-hmm. you know, I, this open project is going to replace this commercial thing, right? So the, the, the media likes to write it as the headline of, you know, such and such kills such and such. And, and there's a difference between that and, and kind of a project in a in a leadership group that says, "Hey, we, we we're trying to grow this pie. Like that that's all that's yep. kind of the ultimate goal." And, I, and it feels a little bit like that's that's sort of where this this is. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. I mean, having said that, I don't think that there are any inherently wrong or broken ways um, uh, inherent in the other in the other in the other approach, where it's like a single vendor, a single governance model, a single sort of overriding c- contributor. Typically from that vendor. Um, in fact, the, the the example I cited earlier, Talend had like pretty much all of that. Yeah. It was like basically no other companies contributing to the Talend like ETL connector tool base, and you know they were able to pull off an IPO, and they're I think they're they're growing fairly successfully now even into that. But like the the point is, I think where where you start to ha- actually have a real concern and interest in very long term, you know, perhaps multi decade industry impact. Um, you need to have a focus for, uh, for you know, for all the other dimensions that we were talking about in terms of being yep. decentralized yeah. and 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 um, much more inclusive to wider industry participation. Right, right. So, um, so you and I met, uh, or at least we, we met online, uh, probably about eighteen months ago. Um, yep. Kismatic, I don't even think had had launched yet. Yeah, and exactly. and for the most part, you guys were doing. Um, a lot of POCs. It was, you know, I think the way that you explained it to me was, you know, it's, it's a lot of education. It's teaching people everything from, you know, how to use Docker to, you know, what what is this Kubernetes thing and oh, concepts, yeah. and, um, you know, and, and now we're, you know, we're eighteen months later, and we're seeing, you know, very big name companies, um, you know, names that people know. You'll see them at the event, but you can see them at, at, you know, even vendor events, uh, saying, hey, look, we run something in production, right? Yep. And and like, what's what, what have you seen from your perspective? Like, what's changed that? I mean that's a that's a pretty steep ramp, uh, you know, within eighteen months to go from like, teach me the basics to I'm going to trust to put things into production. Um, you know what, what's what's been going on? What's been driving that? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I think it's just really hard to put a finger on exactly what what's driving it. I think it's a confluence of things. But uh, yeah, to your point, like early on when Kubernetes was just you know a few months old, a couple months old when we when we got started and really supporting customers and working with companies, you know, nobody really knew what it was. So that was like the only thing we could be doing fundamentally was just yeah. educating people, right? And telling them like, you know, what this interesting new distributed systems, you know, framework or toolkit uh, was all about for, for, for containers and for Docker. Um, whereas now, as you're saying, there's just so many companies using this project in production and, and many others too. I don't think it's just uh, uh, exclusive to Kubernetes. There's, Projects that are written in Go that 
solve a lot of the critical problems people are facing when they're running sort of microservices style distributed systems in in uh, you know in 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 larger scale more demanding environments and they need you know they need a way to sort of solve these these problems of reliability and discovery and networking um, in in a sane way so instead of writing their own sort of uh, writing their own frameworks and you know building their own schedulers or their own you know passes or these different things they end up actually using things off the shelf and I think we've seen a fair amount of consolidation uh, one driver can be that we've seen a fair amount of consolidation over the last 18 to 24 months in these specific areas. Um, one of the interesting patterns that I've actually noticed, uh, which is just you know one small pattern, but I'll just take out an example so I don't uh, talk in uh, hieroglyphics for this whole <laughs> interview, is uh, you know, a lot of people used Fleet early on. So CoreOS is Fleet, which is a sort of um, like low-level unit file method for bootstrapping processes across a cluster of hosts. Yep. And, uh, you know, it, it actually served its purpose for quite a number of things. Um, but, uh, and th- you know, these were some pretty forward-thinking companies that already appreciated the value of, you know, running their distributed systems uh, in an automated sort of automated way using a scheduler and, and uh, you know, using something like Fleet. Yep. But over time, they moved over to Kubernetes because they just realized that they needed a lot, a lot more, and they had they had uh, a lot of abstractions missing from from Fleet, and they ended up writing a lot of custom homegrown software to solve for that. Um, and there's lots of other companies who, you know, as you were saying, just sort of started using containers, and they're like, "Wow, this is an awesome, you know, packaging mechanism. It's giving us um, some really smart ways to manage resource utilization and place our our code in any kind of environment and expect the same sort of predictable." result uh makes our engineers more efficient and so on and uh, you know we, we we actually are stumbling upon these 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 problems that start to persist when you when you run things even in dev test uh and you have to sort of start to glue things together um so those companies start to look at kubernetes and they start to try and learn about it and understand it and, and i think that's another sort of entry point um uh you know th- there's there's also a wide range of companies that are sort of by default starting to realize that in order to build, you know, large scale, we like to call them cloud native applications, um, they need to use uh, some specific technologies to achieve those uh, end results, which are, you know, typically container container based packaging methodologies. Um, they need to figure out how to reduce or eliminate operational overhead within their existing organizations. So they sort of try and find an automated software scheduling system yep. that allows them to run these applications on a cluster of machines or a public private cloud. Uh, in order to take advantage of utilization efficiencies, um, they need to figure out how to network these services together so so that they can actually be partitioned effectively and actually communicate with each other. So um, service discovery or service to service communication starts to become important. There's different evolutions in that in that in that particular area that that are going on. Um, so I think sort of the green field, people migrating off of prior systems and the people who are uh, kind of replacing, their uh, their preconceived notions of what scale looks like with the modern world. Um, those are all entry points into into using Kubernetes, and I think just a bunch of network network effects around contribution, around the community, as we've been talking about, around how the project has matured to a point well beyond production readiness that companies are really betting on it. And um, we're we're actually going to be open sourcing some some pretty exciting data pretty soon around the some some of the t- statistics we have around companies that are using Kubernetes in production 
And, um, you know, you may or may not know we've been collaborating with, with uh, companies in the industry, including Red Hat and Google and others on this. And it's, uh, it's super, super exciting to see. I mean, it's just a huge number. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a huge number of companies actually running Kubernetes, uh, in production now. And, you know, the product is like just a little over two years old. Yeah. Uh, and it's only a year past being a production ready, uh, sort of project, uh, which is really, really impressive. I mean, you just have to compare that to Spark or OpenStack or even Hadoop, some of the most successful projects ever. Uh, and, I don't think we've seen that level of a production adoption um, in such a short period of time in the history of open source software, which is really remarkable. I mean, we yeah. have to sort of consider just open source software period. I mean, even if you consider the first few years of Linux, right, like this was sort of a outlier thing. All the Sun Solaris people were like, what's this Linux thing? Right. Um, right. Yeah. I was, I was gonna. <laughs> I was gonna ask you that because you, uh, you know, if you, if you follow your Twitter account at all, you know, you're, you're always sort of finding uh, or, or you know, kind of. Uh, uncovering, okay, so and so, this this company is, is starting to run this, and, and and or you'll sort of throw out some numbers or teasers about, hey, you're going to be surprised. So I was gonna I was gonna ask you for your your deep dark secrets about how you guys were were tracking all that, but it's good to know that it's all going to be made public here. Uh, oh yeah. later, so that's cool. You no, know, it's it's just out there. It's just yeah, out yeah, there yeah. on the internet, and and you talk to people, and you go to meetups, and you and you uh, you know, there's the customer uh, pipeline and 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 all that sort of thing. But um, but yeah, I mean, we're excited to get it out there. Um, because it, it is kind of a secret to your point. A lot of people just sort of think there's a lot of buzz and hype in this space. And I think, um, to a certain extent that's true, right? Like there, there is a lot of buzz and hype and, and, uh, inflated expectations kind of being thrown out there, but, um, you know, well, lot, people are really excited about this stuff. Yeah. And, it, and it's a just, it's a different mix of dynamics these days. I mean, it's, um, you know, not not all the companies that are actively participating are, are public companies. So you've got you know you've got a level of that. You've got um, you know end users who are doing things that they'd never really done before. You know, they're they're not only contributing software, but you see them you know keynoting events and and sometimes they're uh, you know they're using it as a recruiting opportunity. And I mean, they're all fighting for engineering talent. And I mean, so you have a lot of different things. And and uh, you know. I mean, one of the things that I kind of track, at least on the back of a napkin, is you know who who was speaking at so and so's event, and, right. and how much are they, you know, and then you'll see them speaking at another event, and you'll go, okay, should I should I read into that as as uh, you know trying to find engineering talent, or should I read into that as we were dissatisfied with the previous you know technology, and so they moved on to something else, and right. you know, so there's a lot of kind of interesting uh, you know just puzzle pieces, like you said, to put together. Yep. Um, so you know. A lot of a lot of what's going on in Kubernetes uh, very positive, like you said. The events are up, uh, usage is up, um, but there's you know there's still aspects of it obviously that that need evolution. There's there's feedback that people give that that's not always rosy. Uh, you yep. know, one, one of those being you know in certain extents you know it's just hard to get running. You know, it's like yep. once it, once it gets running, great. You know, day day one seventy eight, great. But day one, um, what are you, what are you seeing in that space? I mean, it's, I, I know there's lots of different efforts. Everybody's got a you know, how do I get this up with one command? And, and, you know, Kelsey's taken a completely different approach of, you know, trying to show you, you know, what goes on under the covers. And I assume he's trying to do that so that you, you under, you eventually appreciate like what happens when it gets automated. But what other areas do you see, still see where like, Hey, there, there's, there's, you know, there's some ways to go here before, you know, it'll not, not before it becomes where it needs to become, but, but where you're seeing people push back and, and give feedback that it needs improvement. Yeah. I still think that the, the sort of day zero, day one, however you look at it, experience still needs a lot of refinement and uh, improvement. And I think one of the big compelling drivers, um, frankly, you know, we cross pollinate from other communities, 
all the time and, and, and vice versa uh, is at the last DockerCon when Docker Swarm was announced uh, to be built into the Docker engine with SwarmKit. Um, within a couple commands where you've got, you know, swarm in it, swarm, swarm join, and you've, you've, you've got a clusterized, you know, within, within a couple of these really simple to learn and, and understand commands, uh, you can have, a, you know, a clusterized set of Docker hosts. Um, that sort of was the compelling event, if you will, for the Kubernetes community to really galvanize around, okay, how do we actually get a, a really simple, a really dead simple, um, you know, installation experience going. So there's there's kubeadmin or kubeadm, which is a new a new effort that kicked kicked off a couple months ago from from folks at Google and Weaveworks, and that's actually now been built into the project as of 1.4, which landed um, landed a couple weeks back, which is pretty exciting. It's, it's still fairly early days, but now you can actually get you can pretty much get uh, uh, a Kubernetes cluster up and running with within a few commands uh, in a very short period of time. Um, in, in 1.5, which should be landing in early December, um, kubeadm should be evolving pretty heavily. But I think that, um, overall there, there's a couple problems with, with getting Kubernetes up and running and getting it up and running quickly. Um, one is actually a technical problem, which is the system itself is fairly complex and to sort of understand all the different components and deploy them in the right order and understand the dependencies and which, which systems actually do what, um, there's a fair bit of cognitive sort of, uh, there's a cognitive cliff there. Yep. Um, but there's lots of things that abstract that and simplify it, which kind of, um, uh, segues nicely into the second big problem, which is more of a, a sort of, uh, uh, problem of optionality where there are just so many, uh, ways of going about that end result of, I just want a Kubernetes cluster that's, that's reliable and running on a set of infrastructure somewhere. Um, there are literally 50 different options, right? Right. And, or more, uh, 50 at least that, that, that I've been able to track. Um, and, you know, for, for, for the community to sort of have that many options is very concerning because it shows that there, there isn't a, a sort of a common um, consensus across the community around, you know, what, what should be the, the proper and right way of doing things. And, and KubeADM is a great step in that direction. Um, but pe- pe- people have been you know, have, have been struggling with this and, you know, discussing, um, you know, ways to sort of solve this problem for probably north of, uh, north of a year now, pretty much ever since Kubernetes 1.0 came out. Right. Um, and so the, I think those are the two big ones. Um, you know, the, the reason I have no problem like talking about this is I, I, I truly think that these, uh, that these, these two problems, right. Like the, 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 the technology problem itself where Kubernetes is inherently a fairly complex system. And then the optionality problem, like I think both of those are fairly solvable, and within a short period of time, we're going to start to see um, a dramatic simplification and improvement on uh, solutions across both of those areas. Uh, yeah. And by short period of time, I literally mean months, like you know maybe a quarter or two or less of time. Um, and so that, I think that just I say that confidently because I know like how fast this community moves and how fast people actually jump on things and solve solve problems. Um, you know, and we're we're, we're contributing to solving a lot of those problems here at Apprenda. I know Red Hat's been doing a lot of awesome work. There's, there's, uh, there's just so many great, brilliant people that are coming together across the community. And to think that these things are just going to persist past, you know, a few months is, is not, uh, is not realistic. Um, you know, but beyond that, there, there's, there's also, there's also lots of other, lots of other issues with a fast growing open source project that happens to be fairly complex. I mean, I think there's, there's just, uh, 
you know, lots of new things that people want to build into Kubernetes uh, natively. And there's, there's increasingly more and more pushback around that um, because people want to see a set of standard interfaces right. Um, right. defined and, and where the sort of surface area becomes too complex. Um, you know, you end up having this, this big, you know, Frankenstein system that nobody wants. Right. So we, you know, we, today we have a, a super powerful set of abstractions that uh, that allow you to to run you know very very reliable and diverse distributed systems um, and you know there there's there's a, a large number of things people want to add in so I think as as the surface area sort of gets locked down and as as Bob, Bob Wise and others have said in the community sort of as we start to make Kubernetes more boring and more stable um, the opportunity to extend it and add in um, you know ecosystem components through through things like third-party resources or through federated API servers or other things like um, extension mechanisms um, becomes greater and, and you know, we, we, we can actually, um, you know, solve, solve some really interesting problems on the, on the periphery as opposed to building them upstream. Right, right. Yeah, and I think, <clears throat> yeah, I think what you pointed out is, is uh, you know, is, is exactly right. And to a certain extent, uh, you know, some of those complexity problems, um, you know, for folks that are, that are willing to do it. And, and there obviously is a, a community of people that want to do that. Like some of those are, are even sort of solvable today. I mean, there are, uh, you know, you can, you can go to a number of the public cloud providers and there is a, you know, sort of hosted managed, uh, Kubernetes service, you know, like, like GKE, exactly. um, you know, obviously there's a, there's a number of commercial vendors, you know, ourselves both being biased towards that, um, who are pretty good at getting these things up and running. And, um, but yeah, you're right. As a community, you, you do have to find that right balance between, uh, I, I, I want to make the thing powerful and I want to make it, you know, like there's a, there's a different, uh, magic to solving for day zero versus day, whatever, um, but I'm interested. So I'm going to wrap this up with one last question. Yep. Um, sure. so, uh, recently there was a, uh, a project that was announced. Um, I think I want to say it was it like container day. It was up in, it was up in Toronto. Uh, and I think maybe the Linux con foundation, but it was basically, um, the, uh, cloud native computing foundation and the Kubernetes folks are going to take, uh, or going to work with, uh, the cloud foundry foundation and take some of their service broker, uh, technology um, and you were just talking a second ago about, you know, places where third parties can begin to, to sort of integrate around that at a, at yep. a 10,000 foot level, give folks some sense of what you see in terms of, you know, where SIs are going to start to integrate things, provide value, like people outside of the core, you know, sort of guts technology community are going to start to provide value around all this. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's sort of, it's kind of two questions because, you know, there, there is the service catalog, service broker effort, which which is basically taking the um, some of the inspirations anyway from the Cloud Foundry service broker API and actually using that as the design basis for um, a service service catalog, service broker in Kubernetes itself, which is an active development effort. Um, and as again, as, as you're saying, sort of collaboratively between CF uh, Foundation and CNCF, uh, and of course, the Kubernetes community. Um, and so we're involved in that from Apprenda's perspective. You know, we see huge value there as a, as a platform, as a service vendor. Um, I know Red Hat's heavily contributing and driving that. Uh, from OpenShift's standpoint, you guys have lots of opinions there. So yep. I think that's, that's really awesome to see that effort kick off. Um, the SI question, I think, is somewhat orthogonal to that, but it's, it's similar. Um, this is actually an area where I think we're going to see a massive explosion in contributions. Um, so we've already started to see this a little bit. One of the things that surprised me the most as an example is TIBCO coming out and actually building a product 
based on packaging there. And I actually worked at Tipco, uh, so I, I can speak fairly intimately about this. Um, they, they, they have a, a, a wide range of middleware um, integration products for doing application integration and um, messaging for high-performance um, high performance enterprise applications and, and data processing. And they, they, they've been selling proprietary software for, for quite a long time, but they've wanted to sort of adopt um, these new models of, of using you know, microservices patterns in the sort of old world of SOAP uh, and uh, you know, XML-based SOA um, for quite a while. So when Docker and Kubernetes started to grow and, and become really popular systems, they just jumped onto that, and, and as an SI, as a as a very large, um, you know, multi-billion-dollar software company that was privatized recently, but there's still pretty pretty large force in that industry. Uh, to see them basically go out and package a a first-class abstraction between running their um, integration artifacts for doing SOA and, and you know and, and data transfer between applications. Um, on Kubernetes is is pretty awesome, and and I think that's just one sort of similar industry example. We're probably going to see lots of others where you'll you'll actually have packaged software vendors like SAP or Oracle, uh, IBM, many others come out and and actually start to run um, you know run their packaged software applications and containers on Kubernetes just yep. to make management upgrades and extensibility of those packaged software project products that they sell for, you know, many, many millions of dollars in customized ways to their vendor, to their, to their customers, yep. uh, to make that whole process easier. Um, we've already started to see that with just the smaller sort of startup vendor ecosystem where, you know, they're selling hosted and on-premise versions of their software and the management complexity and the versioning, um, dependencies that, that, that come into play there. There's, there's a, a wide range of problems. So, not not only on the industry side where we're seeing big banks and retail and insurance and pharmaceutical and, and entertainment, all the sort of industry uh, end users um, using Kubernetes and, and Docker and these new technologies, but also on the vendor side, um, I think we're going to see a, a huge a huge rise in adoption from software vendors uh, for those reasons. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about all these developments. And um, yeah, thanks again for for having me on, Brian. Yeah, very cool. So let me go ahead and wrap that up. I know you're you're short on time. Uh, Real quick, where can folks find you on Twitter if they want to follow up with you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, AsyncIO. So it's A-S-Y-N-C-H-I-O. And uh, that's I, that's pretty much my go-to source. You can find me like on LinkedIn and other places, but I'm, I'm very active on Twitter. I love Twitter. <laughs> very cool. All right, folks. Uh, thank you very much, Joseph, uh, for the time. Sure. And uh, as always, we will uh, hopefully see you at KubeCon. And uh, folks, we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 